I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Mary Fabian with us, and she's been at this topic for how long, Mary? Uh, well, let's see. Officially, um, about seven years, but um, unofficially, over 50 there you go. That's what we want to hear. All right. So we've got Mary Fabian with us. And I just want to say, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to the show. And I know we say it a lot, but we'll say it again. If you like the show, it really helps us out to let us know. Just click the like and subscribe button if you haven't subscribed. And if you want to help support the show, we appreciate it. And we've got a link to Patreon in the description. You can actually support us for as little as a dollar a month, and it, it's uh, all all support is much appreciated. Goes towards our research and getting the best information to you guys. So, with that said, uh, I'm going to hand the mic to Mary. And Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then some of the activity that you have experienced. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I am the founder of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Project. Uh, it's a it's my organization uh, where primarily on Facebook um, that's where we have our group and uh, we have over seventeen thousand members uh, and what we do is uh, my aim primarily was to uh, learn more about the Bigfoot uh, gather information from other witnesses and uh, share. You know, hopefully get everyone to share what they know, what they have, and uh, that way we can all learn more from one another. And I've uh, hooked up with other organizations, and we do share information among each other. And uh, yeah, we uh, it's part of my motto, you know, which is uh, respect share, learn more, and have fun. And uh, I think that's uh, the primary goal of the, uh, the whole thing. Uh, but my, my history is that uh, my first sighting was uh, back in 1967, whenever I was a kid. And then... Uh, well, let's hear a little many, bit many, about that. And, and also, before we... Um... Before we get off the phone with you, I'm going to put a link to your Facebook uh, in okay. the description so people can not only view the show here, but they can also go over and and take a look at your group. So that'd be great. So let's let's hear about your um, let's hear about that first. What do you said it was 67? Yes. Oh, let's hear all about it. All right, uh, I was. Ran around 10 or 11. No, wait a minute. No, I was 11 years old. And uh, we lived on a farm. And at the back of the farm, there was a gas line. And uh, I would hike along that gas line and, uh, you know, walk over to um, an area that, you know, I enjoyed walking through, you know, some of the woods or else I'd uh, go visit with a friend. It was a shortcut over to our friend's place. Uh, so this one day I was walking down that trail. And um, <clears throat> Western Pennsylvania, it's part of the Appalachians. And so we're, uh, we're all hills and hollers. Yeah, and I know that you would probably say hollow. But here uh, we're known, uh, we say holler. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So uh, uh, I was heading down, downhill into the holler, when across from me, uh, on the right-hand side uh, were the woods, and on the left-hand side was uh, 
a field, an overgrown field. Uh, out of the woods walked uh, this Bigfoot is what I'm uh, calling it now. But at that point in time, uh, all I knew was, oh, okay, you know, what's this big, hairy man wearing a fur coat in the middle of summer doing? And um, he, he was very big, very bulky, uh, and um, completely hair-covered black hair, uh, although his facial features resembled it Neanderthal, what we uh, know as uh, Neanderthal from the movies. And, uh, you know, it just stuck in my mind for decades, you know, this, this uh, <laughs> uh, wild man, I think is what my dad called them at that point in time. Uh, he told me about them, and um, but I, I really at that time we really didn't know about Bigfoot. Uh, it was, you know, the uh, the Yeti or the um, um, you know, the oh heck, over in Russia the the Russian Sasquatch um, oh, that they had over there. Yeah, and. But you know, we had no idea there was anything like that around Pennsylvania. Uh, so you know, just that was my first sighting. Let me ask and, you real uh, quick uh, before we yeah. move on. Yeah. You're a little girl. You're walking down. You see this thing. I got a couple questions. Number one, kind of how close was it? And number two, what were you feeling? What were you thinking when you saw this thing? Well, he was approximately you know going back on a you know 50 year old memory uh probably about 40 yards from me <clears throat> and directly across you know the you know the holler and That's 40 uh, yards just, too close right <laughs> right but then for me you know he he wasn't threatening all he did was look at me, uh, and then he turned and walked on, you know, into the field. You know, he didn't act threatening. He didn't do anything. All he did was just stop, uh, look at me, and then go on. So apparently I was of no threat to him, so he just went on about his business. And since he did nothing threatening to me, you know, my attitude was, okay, it was just puzzlement, you know, that, you know, who's this guy wearing a fur coat, you know, in the, in the summertime, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's all I thought of, you know, until I, many, many decades later that I learned about Bigfoot being in the area. But you know, Mary, just real quick, which, um, yeah. I just want to ask real quick about, and you're in Western Pennsylvania, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's a uh, kind of in a um, place of high activity, hot, a lot of hot spots. Yeah. What about the lore, the local lore, the history? Is there anything like that where it kind of goes back in time that people have seen these things? Yeah, there are uh, old newspaper articles from uh, the general area. I don't think anything directly connected with where I saw, uh, but my, uh, my dad was born in 1906, and um, he, had, he would talk to me about different things, unusual things, paranormal and uh, you know, ghosts and UFOs, and uh, and then he mentioned, uh, I I do recall him mentioning the wild man um, or the hairy man. And you know, at that time, I had no idea what the hairy man or the wild man was. You know, it was just something else in the paranormal realm that he would talk about. 
Yeah, no, I always find it interesting when people, sounds like your dad just very matter-of-factly um, believed in their existence. You know, he must yeah. have known something. Uh, he probably did. He just never shared anything in particular, you know, about that with me. Unfortunately. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so what were some of the other encounters or experiences that you've had with this? Well, uh, back in 2004, uh, I married my husband and uh, moved uh, to an entirely different area, well, about uh, about 50 miles north uh, from where I previously lived. And uh, we were a little bit further out in the country. And uh, almost immediately, activity began. Uh, we, you know, my husband would work long hours, and he's a heavy sleeper. So a lot of, lot of this, he slept right through. Uh, but almost immediately, uh, something would bang on the wall, the outside wall behind my head. And I would hear this garbled language you know, and what I know of as the samurai chatter. You know, I didn't learn about the samurai chatter until a few years after that. But, um, yeah, it would come by uh, my house about once every two to three weeks, bang on the side of the wall, um, peek in the windows and scare my dog and make her react in a very frightened, uh, frightened manner, which would startle me. And at first I was afraid of, you know, what's going on, um, you know, what, you know, and I would sit out in the family room and uh, late at night. And sometimes, you know, he would come by this, uh, the Bigfoot, he would come by and uh, my dog would lay down facing the back door. So whenever he would be there, uh, she would react in this certain way. She would um, give a very soft growl, mixture of a whine and a growl. And then she would back up crawling until she was huddled up against me, just shaking in fear, in a total terror. And <clears throat> of course, at first, you know, the first, few months of this going on, you know, I was afraid, but after a while, yeah, I kind of got angry about it because uh, my dog was a rescue and uh, I was pretty protective of her and uh, <clears throat> I didn't want her to feel fear anymore. So <clears throat> one night, you know, she did that. She came huddling up against my legs, you know, staring at the back door. And uh, I had had enough. I jumped up, ran to the back door, grabbed a golf club that I had sitting there, opened the door and ran out after him. And uh, I was hollering at him, you know, saying, you leave my dog alone. <laughs> he just ran off. I like that, though. You got some guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I, I figured, you know, he's a bully. Typical bullies are cowards. So, uh, and I think that kind of uh, psychology <laughs> kind of spurred it on, along with my Irish temper. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Uh, but, yeah, this went on for... Um, about 12 years until we moved out. Uh, one day I did see him, though, um, a little bit clearer. Um, I was sitting in the backyard and saw him peeking up over the wall behind our home. And all I could see, though, was the silhouette and the color of his hair because the setting sun was behind him. And... Um, so I really couldn't make out facial features. Uh, he was maybe about 25 yards away at that point in time. 
And, um, but all I remember though, noticing about his hair was that it was very pretty. It was like a reddish gold and it sparkled in the sunshine behind him. And, and I thought, you know, I wagged my finger at him and I said, you know, you leave my dog alone, you SOB, I see you. And, um, but, uh, yeah, he ducked down and went away because he knew that I saw him. <laughs> Okay, yeah, this, so he acknowledged he acknowledged mm-hmm. you that you had. It sounds like did you make eye contact or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So he ducked down, and was that it? Did you see him yeah. running away or? No, no. It was a low wall um, on the other side. Uh, it was a golf course. Um, well, the edge of the golf course property, uh, the golf course itself was maybe uh, another hundred yards away, but this, uh, the wall was just the edge of the golf course property. And at that point, uh, the wall was maybe three foot high. So he would have had to have been crawling. And that's a, that's something we hear from time to time. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting. Golf course. Uh, there was one that was, I think there's a New York golf course where they actually had one of these things <clears throat> on their, it was seen I think more than once on their golf course. Mm-hmm. And now it's, uh, mm-hmm. they got a, I think, maybe somebody could correct me, but I think they actually have, when you come into the golf course, they've got a sign, a Bigfoot sign there. So. Oh, cool. I would yeah, love to see I, I one of these much... things at the driving range, though. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd have a pretty powerful uh, uh, drive there, I would think. <laughs> right. That ball would start, would finally come to a rest in Canada somewhere. <laughs> yes. But I, I tell you one thing. He would use that area, that heightened area of right around the green. It was a little bit raised. And uh, he would use that to call from, because late at night, I would hear him whooping, and um, another one up over the ridge uh, calling in reply. But, uh, yeah, he was pretty clear from there. So you'd hear two of them talking back and forth, whooping? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the calls would change, uh, but on the most part, I would hear in the springtime um, what I assume would be a female calling because uh, it was a little bit higher pitched call uh, going from like a, a low, not really a low tone, but a lower tone up to a real high, um, high call. And, okay. Uh, and I've heard recordings of it. Um, I think Lord Cryptid has something similar on his uh, YouTube channel that I recognized. Yeah. It's the same. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've heard him screaming and barking and whistling and mm-hmm. very very different. It's very unique. Yeah. Yeah, they are. All right. Yeah. So this this was about what year? When was this happening? Uh, whenever uh, I saw him, let me think. That would have been right around 2007, 2008. I uh, can't remember exactly. Uh, but this went on until you know from 2004 until 2016. Whenever we moved. Um, we built a new home, uh, maybe about 10 miles as the crow flies away from there, a little okay. bit further out in the country. Yeah. And what about the new home? Anything going on at that oh. location? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's an entirely different troop over here. Um, I saw the local one. Well, I found footprints around the foundation as we were building the house. 
And so I knew you know, there was uh, little ones around. And then um, after the house was built, one, let's see, May 2017, I was sitting on my front porch enjoying the view and the warm sunshine. And um, there's a field across from us. And there's a uh, wood line on the other end of the field. And uh, this day, you know, I'm just sitting there and I notice uh, three deer come out uh, of the wood line and they trotted down along the edge of the wood line and cut into a game trail at the bottom. And then behind them, here comes a Bigfoot uh, just walking. And he came directly behind them, following the same trail, same path, and cut in the game trail behind them. Uh, now, he, uh, I saw him fairly clearly uh, whenever, especially as he came down to the bottom closer to me. Uh, but he was like a grayish-brown in um, maybe about seven or eight foot. Um, but his build was very lean, like a, like an athlete. Okay. You know, he wasn't as bulky as the other one. Might be a, might be a different type. Uh, yeah. Were the deer, do you think the deer were aware of his presence? They weren't running in panic. Uh, they were just trotting down the hill. So, you know, I guess they were where they were being pushed, but uh, they weren't in a panic. Okay. And no idea what happened to the deer no. after they disappeared out of sight or? No. Okay. No, I'm always curious if they, if it was maybe driving them towards uh, where the others were to, you know, get a meal out of them. Very possible. Um the game trail that they cut into goes over into a lower valley um, on a completely different property. And at that time, I didn't know my neighbors, you know, enough to be able to say, hey, can I go on your property and check things out? You know, we were brand new there. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's always... That's always the thing. Well, that brings up an interesting question, though. Um, and you've been at your current property for what? What did you say? Twenty sixteen or? Uh, Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Okay, so about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got to know your neighbors? And has you ever had a conversation with anybody at any of your properties, or anybody else in Pennsylvania, where they say, mm-hmm. "Yeah, we've seen them too." Yeah, my uh, I've spoken with just about all my neighbors, uh, the immediate neighbors, and uh, a few of the other ones who live a little bit further out. And uh, the ones right around me kind of deny knowing about them. Uh, the one has a pretty large farm, and he keeps what what is kind of known as a booger light on at the back of his property or back by his barn. Uh, But, you know, that could be to keep human, you know, human uh, thieves away also. Yeah. Uh, But then uh, another neighbor contacted me and said, well, he showed me a photo uh, that was of his deer stand and hanging on his deer stand was a carcass, a deer carcass, uh, completely stripped of meat. It was just all bones and tendons just hanging there. Uh, it was, um, maybe about nine foot up and he asked me about it. And, uh, so I consulted with uh, some friends who were a little bit more experienced, and uh, they suggested, and I kind of got the feeling also 
that it was more of a warning to stay away, uh, that this is their hunting property, you know, don't, don't come here. Will, um, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Have you ever heard of this before? Have you ever seen uh, sort of deer carcasses hanging up in trees or deer stands? Just a time or two. <laughs> We've got some pictures. Yeah. We don't know what it means. I mean, I don't, I'm, at least I don't. I don't know. Will, what are your thoughts? Well, when we talked to Forrest, we were thinking baiting. Yeah, that's a good uh, good thought. Because I've, I've been out in the woods, and I, I sent you the picture of the pristine uh, deer skull with the, you know, it was basically uh, something you could hang on the wall with, with I think it was a six-point. Very nice-looking deer skull just out in the middle of the wilderness. No hide, no bones around, and nothing like that. So they do strange things. All right, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mary, so keep that's all right. going. Yeah. No, that's um, that's interesting. Uh, baiting. Um, what what do you think would be the purpose to draw <clears throat> something else in? I'm sure, you'd maximize your kill. Kill one deer hanging up, and you got all kinds of other predators coming in. A lot of yeah, you get maximize true. your food with little effort. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of coyotes around, um, a lot of those. And I, I have heard them killing a coyote. Um, really? But, uh, Tell us, yeah, yeah, give us a detailed description of that. <clears throat> oh, um, well, one night, uh, let me think, it was right around uh, 12.30 or so at night. Uh, I heard a, a Bigfoot call. And it was very obviously a Bigfoot and nothing else. Um, give out a vocal. That got the coyotes going. And uh, this was just up over the hill. Well, the same hill where the, the deer went to on that game trail. Uh, I could hear where they were at. And uh, the coyotes were just yipping and singing and going off you know, all excited, and then all of a sudden I heard a yip in silence. Mm. And, um, and uh, I was in Land Between the Lakes a few years ago with um, Bear and Kumbo, and um, <clears throat> we there was a coyote hunt there also where the Bigfoot went after the coyote and the following day um, one of the members of our group found the coyote's body and it was literally twisted like an old dish rag yeah so, that's uh, uh, pretty common that's uh well you've even seen that where was it you or john adams who saw it? the uh, deer that was just Snap. It was John that saw that. Yeah. Um, and and they do it to trees as well. You know, yeah. sometimes they, they just snap them over and other times they just wring it out. I've got a picture of one of those trees where it's just wrung like a like a cloth. Yeah. Uh, like an old wash rag. You wonder what did that? Yeah, what would have the strength to do that? You know, in the the opposable thumbs to be able to do that. Although uh, a friend of mine is a uh, predator uh, biologist up in Canada, and uh, she did tell me that bears will twist trees up to four inches in diameter. Did she say and, why? Uh, offhand, I can't remember. But uh, I don't think she did say why. Uh, but she that's what she told me. You know, she worked for the Canadian um, Forestry Service. 
And yeah, I'm just curious what because I, I can't see a black bear doing that, especially something up to four inches in diameter. I mean, that would no, uh, uh, that that would that would really be something. We have black bears here in Oregon. They will mm-hmm. scratch trees to yeah. mark territory, but um, yeah, I couldn't see them twisting one. That's interesting. Yeah, that I don't know for, you know, all I can go by is what she told me. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And that's a lot of that, a lot of what we deal with in this topic. Yeah. So what other um, experiences have you had with these creatures? And the other question I want to ask is it sounds like it's an ongoing thing. Oh, yeah. What would be the most recent one that you had? Uh, the most recent would have been... Um, I was on an expedition into Oklahoma, and uh, Chuck Schlubs um, was right. also Chuck there. Was there. Yep. And uh, he and I had a mutual sighting. Uh, we were in a pickup truck with uh, two other people, and uh, at a casino parking lot of all places, <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, the other two people in the truck had never seen a Bigfoot. They were not very experienced. So as soon as, uh, we parked the truck, uh, they got on their phones and, you know, they do words with total strangers or whatever games that people play on their phones. I have no idea, but, you know, Chuck and I, we were a bit more experienced. So we both knew that it doesn't matter where you're at, you always stay alert. And uh, even in a casino parking lot. (laughs) Well, we do know that some of these Bigfoot seem to have gambling addictions. So, you know, (laughs) makes sense, right? (laughs) I I think it's more to the food in the dumpsters. (laughs) Ah, that's it. There you go. You nailed it. All right. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, (laughs) that's the Bigfoot buffet. Uh, they were known to go around and hang around that particular casino and raid the dumpsters uh, because the uh, employees were always, they were afraid to go out at nighttime because they knew the Bigfoot were out there. Uh, but anyway, uh, about really? Chuck and I, yeah. Yeah, wow. they, wow. Um, yeah, we're sitting in the, the truck and you know, I'm sitting behind the driver and uh, Chuck was sitting in the front seat, passenger side, and um, you know I'm just looking out the window, and he's looking out the window, and um, I saw this Bigfoot come running out uh, from the side of the on the other side of the casino, uh, run across this brightly lit parking lot. Uh, I think this was around 12:30 at night. Uh, past all the pickup trucks and uh, cross the four-lane highway and into the woods on the other side. <laughs> Chuck said, whoa, do you see that? <laughs> I said, yeah, <laughs> holy crap, I think it was a Bigfoot. And, um, it, we, Did it go uh, to the garbage it, can? Uh, it, I have no idea what it now the garbage, the dumpsters were on our side of the casino, so I, I don't know. It came out from the other end of the building, so I honestly have no idea what was over there. You know, there were woods behind the casino, uh, and woods on the other side of the highway. Wow. But um, the one thing, whenever I got home, I was able to look it up on Google Maps. And, um, you know, Chuck and I, we both agreed that it took the Bigfoot about three seconds to run from point A to point B. And uh, so I was able to measure uh, on Google Maps the distance from point A to point B. So I was able to estimate just about how fast he was running. And uh, I estimated right around 52 miles an hour. 
Very good for you. You're my type of gal. That's exactly what I did with the sighting that I had. I did a speed time distance calculation, mm-hmm. and I was like, I had never seen anything. So how can it move that fast? I know. Um, They're amazing. Um, so this was at a casino in Oklahoma? Yes. Okay. And it's what you said, like 12, 1230 at night? Yes. Just running around. Probably probably had just feasted out on some scraps of surf and turf, and now he's heading back to the woods. Yeah, <laughs> most likely, yeah. Yeah, the uh, security guard came out, and uh, I, you because know, she was wondering, you know, why, uh, because there were uh, seven vehicles out there parked in the parking lot, and we weren't, and that we were staying at, um a few little things here and there. Uh, one night, we possibly had a couple visitors. One came up to the front porch and jiggled the front door. Uh, another one came up the back porch. And uh, one of them threw rocks at the side of the house a little bit, maybe a little bit later during the night. And, um, but then early on in that trip, uh, you know, I think the first day that we pulled in, I got out my Nikon and I was taking some just general shots around the, the area around the cabin. Uh, it was in a very remote area, uh, with woods on the edge, uh, very steep bluff at the back of it with a creek down below. And, um, you know, I just took some you know, general shots, you know, general photos, you know, to see the lay of the land. And I sent them back to my group, you know, to let them know, you know, okay, this is the area where I'm at. Uh, well, one member of the group uh, took a real good look at the photos and uh, he found one of the photos in particular, he said, hey, I think you should take a closer look at this. You, know, you may have something here. So I, uh, you know, I was still in Oklahoma, didn't have my laptop with me, but I was able to zoom in, you know, enlarging it on my phone and uh, brought it up. And um, lo and behold, you know, I could see two figures. And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, maybe it's a rock, maybe it's a stump or you know, a tree or something, you know, so that the next day, Chuck and I uh, walked over to where that was. I was able to pinpoint the exact area where the dark figures were that uh, we didn't know what was. Uh, so we walked over. And uh, found the exact spot, and there was no trees, no stumps, no rocks. It was just the edge of the bluff. Uh, so, you know, looking at the photos, it's two figures with both um, uh, sagittal crest-looking heads and very, very wide shoulders. And... Um, Apparently, they were laying over the edge of the bluff with just their head and shoulders above, watching me as I walked around taking photos. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. you, you, you can't see anything very clear. You can't make out features. It's just two shapes, two figures there. Yeah, I wish that I could make outfit, you know, features on it, unfortunately, but no. Well, Mary, that's interesting, though, because, you know, actually, there's a lot of photographs. Will has one. I've got some where you're just taking pictures. You're not trying to get these things. You're just taking pictures. Mm -hmm. And it's sometime later that somebody else brings it to your attention. Hey, take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Will's got one that is absolutely phenomenal. And um, 
nor I don't think he's going to share it. I don't blame him, but it's it's the same type of thing, you know, just taking a little yeah. picture of trees and oh, what's that? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, about the only other picture I have is um, about I took it about uh, seven years ago in a local state park. Uh, I was hiking down a trail when all of a sudden I just got a sudden sense of fear. And, you know, the, the area wasn't scary looking or anything. And, uh, but I just felt uh, fear, you know, if I went any further, you know, the closer, the more I walked, the more intense the fear became. And um, I, I figured, okay. So I brought up my, my phone and took a bunch of photos, you know, like in a 90 degree arc and uh, backed away and went back to my vehicle and left. Uh, Whenever I got back home, I brought them up, brought up the photos on my computer and I was zooming in and possibly, yeah, I, I could make out a face in the Y of a tree, and it would have been a little one, uh, yeah, unless it's, you know, pareidolia on my part. I don't know, but, you know, I can make out a face, and that's about it. Well, right, and that happens. Um, let me ask you this, because that has always fascinated me. How and where, what's the mechanism that causes this external fear to come in you know i i'm mean, you know you don't necessarily have to have the answer but i just find it interesting that yeah. i've experienced it wasn't fear so much as just you know my wife and i were in, in an area and it just felt weird uh, again mm-hmm. going back to this cop that i know up in washington <laughs> said it feels like he just walked into a graveyard at midnight <laughs> and oh, yeah. I said that, that's kind of what it was. Um, yeah. And I'm just kind of a practical guy. I'm just trying to think how do they, why would they, how does it get projected? I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I know I've, I've been what they call zapped infrasound um, before, and it's affected me in different ways. Um, I think out in Oklahoma, I felt uh, an intense migraine come on all of a sudden, and then it went away, Um, upset stomach, um, and, um, you know, just discomfort, general discomfort, uh, disorientation in different areas that I've gone into, Um, but... um, Occasionally, I will go into an area, and again, it's uh, the area doesn't give off a scary feel, but then you'll fear, you'll feel that emotion, you'll feel that sudden hit of fear or terror. Yeah, yeah. and I've wondered if that's that would be a practical explanation is um... infrasound. You know, that that's the only thing that I can think of and speaking with you know uh, Kumbo Tim Kumbo Baker um, that's pretty much what I think that it is yeah yeah I think yeah I experienced that it was extreme disorientation if actually I felt like I just had an instant case of the flu and um, yeah. just you know it was really something so um Okay, well, listen, Mary, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, and I'm really hoping we can have you back as a guest in the future at some point. Absolutely, because I haven't finished all my sightings. <laughs> well, we got to do that. We're, we're out of time, so we are going to have you back on shortly. In the meantime, I believe you have my email address. If not, I'll give it to you uh, once we stop recording and send me as quickly as possible so I can get it in the description. 
the uh, Facebook right. address so people can come and visit you and see what kind of stuff you have, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we welcome members from all over the world. We, uh, you know, we welcome everyone, you know, as long as uh, even skeptics, as long as they're respectful. Okay, excellent. Well, listen, we're going to we're going to wrap it up at this point. And uh, again, I thank you for being available, especially on such short notice. So, um, yeah, we're going to I got a hunch we, uh, we're going to be talking again in the future. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, you know, everyone you know, come on and join my group, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Project. And that's on Facebook. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much. And it's Sunday yeah. afternoon, so have a great afternoon. And we're getting close to, I think, it's your dinner time. So uh, yes. I'll let you go and get that taken care of. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Mary. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bye for now. Bye-bye. In Bigfoot History, Laird Meadow Road, August 21, 1964. Roger Patterson, making his first trip to Bluff Creek, saw tracks coming down the hill across the road around an old logging landing. They were 17 inches long, 5 inches across the heel, with an average 52-inch stride. They sank in the ground an inch and a half, where his own print scarcely showed. He made an excellent cast of what appears to be the print of the original Bigfoot. Story from Orleans, California, 1952. This person's encounter was so shocking that he blocked it from consciousness for a time. He did recall the events, however, and this is what he related. I began to remember more and more of what happened. I had me a bad case of the jitters as the memory uncoiled. The first part of the story took me back to 1952, when I had gone to Orleans to start preliminary work on a logging operation with two men by the names of Lee Valeri and Josh Russell. One evening, Josh told me Lee had gone up to Happy Camp, but not having transportation back wanted me to take the Mercury and go up and get him. I had driven the extremely crooked and dangerous road up there, but not being able to find him started back alone to Orleans. It had been raining very heavily, and after going back a few miles, I found there had been a slide across the road. There was a man with a flashlight there who told me I could still go back to Orleans by way of a detour across the river. He said it was a dirt road that went through Bear Valley and could come out at the mouth of Bluff Creek a few miles below Orleans. I had been driving slowly down this road for about 20 miles, I guess, sort of daydreaming, when I saw it. Dimly in the headlights, in the rain, was a shaggy, orangutan-like apparition of a human. For an instant, I had the impression the shaggy hair of the creature was a hoary blue-gray in the headlights. An ogre, I remember thinking. But the thing swiftly backpedaled off the road and behind a tree. I automatically passed it off his imagination and drove on by the spot. Suddenly, without warning, the car went into a violent and unreasonable skid. I brought the car back under control, but for some reason glanced into the rearview mirror. In the dim light of the taillights and license display bulb, I thought I could see a savage-looking face looking through the rear glass. I continued on, and when I looked again, there was no face so again concluded it was imagination. I had gone another quarter mile, I guess, when across the road was a small six-inch sapling. I stopped the car and got out, intending to drag it aside if possible. Suddenly I heard the swift thud of flying feet of something coming down the road. Reality was upon me, and I remember cursing myself for not paying attention to what I had previously seen. It was the shaggy, human-like monster I had seen in the headlights. It at once started circling around me, snarling and acting very menacing. 
It kept this circling up for some time and once came up quite close, and I could see its face reflected by the headlights much better. The eyes were round and rather luminous. The hair on top of its rather low and rounded head was pretty short. Its eye teeth were far longer than a human's. Also, the chest and upper part of its torso was rather bare of hair and also leathery-looking. It wasn't too tall, not much more than my own five feet nine inches, although it had a stooped, long-armed posture. Then suddenly it changed tactics. It would stalk off down the road, but would come charging back like a bat out of hell when I started toward the car. The hour was late. The thing was becoming more and more menacing, and I was almost paralyzed by this time, paralyzed by fear. Suddenly a plan of escape, born out of desperation, popped into my mind. Since the monster seemed to think I couldn't get away, why not, when it went down the road again, playing cat and mouse, try to get in the car and smash through the sapling? This I did and sprang for the door of the car a dozen feet away. No sooner was I inside when there it was, trying to claw through the window. I jerked the car into gear, floored the accelerator, and can vividly remember the wet sapling glistening whitely in the headlights as the car slashed it aside. I remember the scream of rage and frustration it then gave. It was a curious, trumpeting sound, like the scream of a stallion and the roar of a mad grizzly. The car then felt as though it were being held back by something half-riding and attempting to stop it. But the powerful mercury proved too much for it, and after a couple hundred yards I felt no more resistance. To top this unbelievable experience off, believe it or not, I promptly forgot the whole experience. Then and there it went out of my mind. Not even the next day when Lee asked me if I had seen anything unusual on that road last night did I remember. He had come later from Happy Camp with another man hired to take him to Orleans. A few days later, an incident happened that should have brought the experience back, but didn't. Lee noticed a big dent in the grill of the car and asked me how it got there. I told him, I didn't know. Incidentally, Lee told me that something had tried to push them off the road when they came through on the detour. He said there's something strange going on around here, and let the matter drop. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.